You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. Hi, and welcome to Future Thinking. I'm your host, Amelia Miranda-Williams, an editor at Stylus's New York office. Today, we will be taking a tour through the gut and learn why consumers are clamoring for products and advice on supporting their microbiome. Joining me to digest this topic is Lisa and Alana McFarlane, better known on the internet as The Gut Stuff. And we also have with us Laura Swain, Stylus's very own food and beverage editor. So welcome, everyone. To start, I would love to hear from you, Lisa and Alana, about a bit of background about how you got interested in gut health and why this is such an important topic to discuss. Yeah, and that was one of the most succinct and brilliant intros that we've ever heard. So yeah, we're definitely using that. Yeah, so very randomly is the answer to that question. And we are, well, we're primarily DJs. And so, you know, two in the world, living a fairly hedonistic lifestyle, brought up in working class Scotland, could not be further from the health and wellbeing industry or world. Um, but we volunteer for Twin Research, which is a research facility here at um, King's College in London. The main reason for that is that we're kind of fascinated in, you know, physiologically what was different between us, because obviously we look very similar on the outside. But more importantly, we had very different health pathways growing up. So Alana had arthritis when we were younger and they couldn't work out why, because I didn't have it. They, they so. It couldn't have been genetic. They knew it potentially wasn't viral. So Tim Spector, who heads up the research facility there, was like, do you guys want to be the first set of twins after the American Gut Project to have your guts analysed? We're about to do a big study. Um, and we were like, yeah, sure, Tim. What do we have to do? And he was like, you have to send your poo off every day in the post for two months. We were like, fine. Um, and you have to have a couple of colonoscopies. We were like, Sure, didn't realise how invasive that was until we signed the waiver form. Um, and then, yeah, for two months, for months and months, we were just had loads of different experiments, mainly through diet. And they realised through our bodies that even though we have 100% the same DNA, we only have around 30 to 40% the same gut bacteria, um, which meant a lot of things at the time for the research. It was, I mean, this was like five, six years ago. So, you know, gut health certainly wasn't on the agenda like it is now. Um, so, yeah, and we just became fascinated by it. You know, we weren't just speaking to gastroenterologists. We were speaking to immunologists, the head of Parkinson's research, and realising that actually this isn't just to do with digestive health. There's another ecosystem at play that if our friends all knew about it, they wouldn't be doing the cabbage soup diet before Magaluf. Like, there's a whole there's a whole thing that we don't know about. And, yes, yeah, so we set up the gutstuff.com purely as a passion project. And now it is, yeah, very much its own beast. Fast forward to today. Um, so, yeah, and, and now gut health is obviously coming into public consciousness and a lot of the research is still done on our bodies. So, yeah, that's the kind of nutshell version of the random journey into digestive and gut health. Well, I think what really sort of got the fire in our bellies was, you know, how much the gut was linked to so many different things and how important it was to overall health. And that, you know, really got us passionate because in our 20s, we thought about health as, you know, what was on the, what looked like on the outside. And actually, you know, it's about thinking about the inside out, really. So it just completely changed the way that we we thought about health and, and wellness. And I think where we're from, people see health as just not being ill and wellness as, you know, standing on your head drinking green smoothies. And actually, you know, um, we want to try and democratise that and make it accessible for everyone. 
Excellent. And so we were just talking before we started recording about the book that you just released. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about it. You know, who's it meant to help and why did you decide that a book was a good venue for sharing this information? Well, we were like, you know, a lot of the other gut health books that we were reading were amazing, but either they were like quite inaccessible in terms of the science, so they were quite advanced, or, you know, by one person uh, and potentially recipes that wasn't accessible to people, you know, jaggery and such, like ingredients that people didn't really know about. So we were like, could we create like a pop culture version of the science? And then we asked all the top, like, amazing scientists, 18 of them in the field, like the guy that created the word prebiotics, uh, Glenn Gibson, John Cryan and Ted Dinan, who wrote The Psychobiotic Revolution, which is, like, you know, leading the charge in terms of the gut-brain access. We were like, hi, we've got this bit of an idea where we'd like to get all the experts together. We know you already have book deals, but you know, can we do that? And everyone was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And it wasn't, it, we were lucky because it wasn't just the scientists that said, yes, you know, we've got dietitians in there and nutritionists. Um, and I think for us, to if you want to sort of create a category and get the word out there, it needs to be a collaboration. You know, it needs to be a revolution. It's not just about our voices. You know, it's it, it was it's our journey, but we're very much on the journey with everyone else. And it was important that it was a a collaborative process and but also you know an accessible price point as well that's another thing about you know a lot of books that were in the space is there were you know 30 40 quid books and you know it's a lot the majority of the UK can't afford that so you know we've made it an accessible price point and we really hope that the book will transcend into schools and universities and you know places where you wouldn't necessarily expect it. That's excellent. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely seen, I think, a shift at Stylus. We've been talking about gut health for quite some time now. And I know that I have certainly tasted many types of kombucha and kefir at trade shows over the year. But Laura, I'd love to hear a little bit more in your perspective, how this conversation has changed over the past couple of years and maybe a little bit about where it could be going in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you're saying, Lisa, like maybe five, six years ago, seven years ago, people weren't really talking about it. And the conversation has changed so much over the last like five years. So when we first started looking at it, you know, all, all that time ago, maybe yeah, about five or six years ago, it's still a pretty niche, pretty unsexy conversation. It's mostly kind of concentrated on weight control specifically and specific health conditions. But we begin to see kind of a small group of consumers who are showing some interest in understanding and wanting to map how their body reacted to food. And then around 2016, we began to see kind of a growing body of research looking at the brain-gut axis and how the the, the gut can help boost uh, brain function and modulate stress. And during this time as well, consumers were actively looking for for this information. That's obviously increased over time. So uh, Google searches for gut health grew by over 400% between 2015 and 2020. And if we speed ahead till now, kind of a year into the pandemic, gut health has become an even hotter topic of conversation and consumers are being much more proactive to improving their gut microbiome. For example, at the end of 2020, uh, 72% 72 of US consumers said they've either tried or would like to try products with pro or prebiotics. And consumers are also kind of keen to try food and drink and supplements that regulate their immune system because of COVID. And gut health very much ties into this. And we saw lots of lots of people trying fermented foods, um, kimchi and sauerkraut grew by, I think, 900 percent at the beginning of the pandemic, which as people began to make you know, the connections between the two, making fermented foods at home. I had a go at it. 
it wasn't great. <laughs> I do think, though, there's still definitely room for this conversation to evolve and grow as more research is released on, uh, the, uh, on the benefits of a healthy microbiome. And just a couple of weeks ago, I'm sure you guys know that there was a huge international study conducted by the, the, the a huge study conducted by the Imperial College, which cemented kind of the, the link between diet, certain gut bacteria and the microbiome and your overall health and well-being. And I think as more of this science is successfully communicated to consumers, like in your book, I think people incorporate this more into their day-to-day lives. So you just mentioned immunity, which I think is a hugely interesting topic, especially as lots of the discussions we've heard around immunity recently have been about immune boosting, and that's kind of like a touchy area at the moment. So I'm curious about to what extent does the microbiome in our gut actually impact the immune response? And for brands who do want to explore this area, what are some ways they can do so responsibly in thinking about the science first and foremost? Yeah, I think, I mean, the key word that you use there is, you know, responsibly, and I think the boosting immunity thing or one particular mood boosting or immunity boosting food just gives people, it's that magic bullet behavioural mentality that I think we all need to start moving away from. You know, there's so many incredible um, people, Jenna Macchiocchi wrote for our, an immunologist, did an amazing chapter in our book about this. And, you know, your gut bacteria, this blew my mind, we found this out, actually educate your immune cells from the day you're born so they teach them what to do and like that's a good guy that's a bad guy (laughs) that's a pathogen um and you know your gut bacteria maintain a balanced immune system because around 70 percent of your immune system actually resides in your gut so i think once you know that link you're like okay and it does make sense it's the main gateway from the outside in like i think you have to sort of take those pillars and go okay great there's a connection what tends to happen particularly in the food industry is okay let's take those pillars and jump 10 steps ahead and go okay here's one thing that can boost this and actually for consumers you know we have to you know be careful with with how we do that and how we do medicine around that because it's enough it's exciting that you know there is some there's another tool in our armory potentially with our gut health and our gut um, that could be a piece of the puzzle. But I think the key word is that it's a piece of the puzzle. So yeah, I think we have to approach it carefully, but the science is exciting enough without sensationalizing it. Um, personally, I think, in a way. No, I totally agree. It's it's fascinating. I think I, I saw another amazing, amazing statement the other day. Somebody said, apparently the widespread use of probiotics could re- result in 2.2 million fewer antibiotic prescriptions. 54 million fewer annual sick days and $919 million in avoided annual productivity issues. So like the, the stats are kind of mind blowing. Yeah. Um, and as, as you said as well, I think whilst these research studies um, that tie gut health to immunity, it's really important the brands are responsibly label their products. And when they're making bold claims, they need to make sure that, you know, all of this is backed up by credible science. That is certainly some impressive stats that you've just mentioned there. <laughs> So another thing that I think we've been thinking a lot about during the pandemic and the link to diet is the idea of stress and anxiety and how people are using food to cope in positive ways and maybe less positive ones. But I'm curious, Lisa and Milana, what you think brands should know about making claims when saying a food's potential to improve mood or stress, because that is something we've been hearing quite a bit when linked to the microbiome and gut. You know, is this something that is true that they can, again, responsibly say, or is it just marketing speak that should be avoided? 
So we know that there is a connection, both physically, so there's a, um, a nerve called the vagus nerve, unfortunately nothing to do with Las Vegas, that physically connects the brain and the gut. Historically, we've thought that that was a one-way system. So, you know, when you see someone you fancy, you get butterflies in your stomach. But we now know that actually that works both ways. And so that's really exciting. The next bit is that, you know, there's a lot of neurotransmitters that are producing your gut that then talk to your brain. So serotonin, GABA, dopamine, the one that you get when you, you know, have a like on Instagram. And um, so your, your gut and your brain are talking all the time through lots of different methods. But to caveat that, you know, mental health is multifactorial. You know, I've seen some whizzy nonsense that, you know, like having some sauerkraut is going to cure your depression. Like, I think as soon as we go, okay, there's links, great. People want to try and put it down to a food group, firstly, that happens a lot, or ingredients, like this ingredient will help this, which is, you know, not just irresponsible, but, but, you know, I think the first step in it is teaching consumers about clinical trials. Because us as Joe Blogs, I was like, what is a randomized console trial? What is the systematic review? I don't understand. And actually the hierarchy of evidence is something that's quite, once you get to grips with it, you're like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like if it's done on mice, probably not to, <laughs> not to try, like, trust what it says. But I think, again, it's similar to the immunity thing. It's exciting that there's a link. Um you know, if there was a magic pill, someone would be very rich by now. I think that knowing there's a connection in terms of, you know, behaviourally that can help a lot of people because sometimes it's not about what you eat, it's how you eat or or how, you know, stressed you are could affect your digestive health and could bring on symptoms. So I think knowing that link and that little linchpin is the thing that we should all be excited about now. Yes, of course, there's like postbiotics and psychobiotics and stuff far ahead in the future, which is incredible. But I think going back to basics and going, right, there's a connection. Is that going to help me start to, you know, recognise you know, some symptoms or, you know, know that there's a connection, they're going to help me in any way, then that's great. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. But I think it also leads to another question that we've sort of been dancing around a little bit, which is about consumer knowledge. You know, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how this information, which seems obviously vastly complicated, is being communicated to consumers. You know, do people understand this, do you think, at a high level? Or do people who do understand it seeking it out to address a particular issue? From what we found, you know, it's very polarized. You either get people that are like, yay, the microbiome, and they're really passionate about it, or people are like, what do you mean, my beer belly? You know, and we were the same. You know, we didn't even biologically know what our gut was. So it took education to find out that it wasn't just our stomach and that there was another equal system at play in the microbiome. And also, I think where, where consumers are potentially getting confused is that, you know, digestive health. And people talk about digestive health and they talk about gut health. And we think about digestive health. I think the majority of people see that as more clinical. So, you know, IBS, IBD, so clinical issues. And then they see gut health as talking about the microbiome in general. And actually these two camps should be given very different advice and be sold different products. And I think that is where a lot of the confusion comes when it comes to consumers and what they know about gut health and digestive health. And um, so there's a lot to be done and, you know, that that's why, you know, at the gut stuff, we're really about stripping everything back to basics, talking about biologically what the gut is, what is our microbiome, what does it affect, you know, because, you know, the gut brain access and the immunity and the gut lung access are all so, so exciting. But for most of the majority of people, that's four or five steps far too far just yet. 
But I, I'm excited because Laura's probably going to have some incredible stats for us on this. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I'd like, to say, I'd like to say I do, but I actually don't on this case. Oh, I think I feel like we saw a bit of a difference from, you know, I think we have to take the conversation out of whole foods and plant organics cues and into... You know, we did a roadshow in London. We took over Old Street Station and people were like, woohoo, yay, probiotics. Then we got to Manchester and people were like, what what on earth is this? And actually, we have to be careful in the food industry, farm industry, and as educators, that we're all in an echo chamber. And I think that, you know, a lot of people don't even know, you know, they're like, do you mean my stomach? Or don't know the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian, or how the science gets disseminated down to them. You know, half the time it's through, through, you know, sensationalist headlines that people like to kind of anchor themselves onto. And I think, or like an, a potential influencer that is selling skinny teas. Um, so behaviorally, we think about these things of restriction, taking things out, taking out gluten, dairy, um, because that is what the world around us is is trying to, you know, sell us. But actually, like, it's really important that we strip it back so consumers can make their own choices, I think. I think as well, just, you know, from when we speak to our audience, you know, a lot of them don't really know the difference between a prebiotic and a probiotic yet. And a lot of people still think fibre is just prune juice and cereal. And yeah, there's a lot of education to be done around the terms we use around gut health as well and what people's perceptions of, of them are. You know, I think the majority of people wouldn't know that you need 30 grams recommended daily and take a fibre a day. They're probably all eating fibre, but they don't necessarily know where they're getting from or how much that they should have. So yeah, I mean, it's very much stripping it back to, back to basics. But we've seen a big difference since we, we obviously went through the trials in 2015, set up the company in 2017, and here we are in 2021, and the landscape is changing rapidly. And, you know, people's awareness of gut health is, is really, you know, accelerating at quite a pace. So that's really exciting for us. But we still, we, we, we're still shouting about the basics, and we probably will be uh, for the next couple of years, I think. Yeah, yeah, this question of knowledge is so interesting. I mean, especially when our landscape now where people really want that single, you know, person or book or authority to hold on to, as you mentioned, Lisa. And so I'm curious if we've noticed a specific type of brand take a lead on this topic when we're thinking more in food industry. Are there any market segments that are really, you know, going forward and pushing this conversation or market segments that you'd like to see take a more proactive role? I think. It's still quite disparate in terms of, you know, we got, when we do our roadshows, we get, every, we, we have like five sponsors and it's everyone from, you know, Kellogg's or Danone right down to small artisan fermenters that are fermenting in their kitchen. And I think that we need to have that broad, broad range of businesses to go, right, we all agree as businesses, big and small, that an education piece has to happen before consumers know how to interact with these products or to think about them in a way that isn't binary. (laughs) And it's like, you know, adding things. Um, And I think that that needs to probably happen first. And and I guess it's like where people get their information from, like, you know, is it the NHS website? Is it through a brand? Like brands like Rude Health, for example, do that brilliantly. And I think in America, in the States, it happens 
less so than here. Uh, I would say there's more products with smaller knowledge, whereas here, I think Laura's probably got stats to contend with this, but from what we've seen, because um, 30% of our audience is in America, and I think that they're more well-versed in things like probiotics than people are here. But I think people are still just confused that they can get bacteria through, through food, or that they can, yeah, I think it's still, like people are still like, oh, I don't understand, like, do you mean like those small yogurt drinks, or, you know, what do you, what do you mean? And I think that we have to bridge the gap between it seeing like fermented stuff that people think is created in East London when really it's been here for hundreds of years um, versus really, really commercial products that people are familiar with. And I think once that gap is bridged and people actually know why, like a bit of the science, then, th- then things will start to accelerate really quickly. But I think pharma, you know, I think food is still quite disparate. Pharma's getting there, but I think needs to be more honest about where the science is at because it's still so new yeah you mentioned about kind of yogurt drinks and stuff I was, I was just going to say that I think the dairy the dairy category has always been kind of the one pillar that generally has talked about it and has talked about it for a long time but I don't think people necessarily kind of like make all of the connections they just see kind of probiotics written on a on a dairy package on a, on a yogurt for example and they're like oh okay that that must be good for me so I think there's kind of they still have some way to go on it but I think since they have so much more competition from vegan brands now I think that's one of the kind of key things that they can kind of focus on and they can kind of take a lead on the conversation in that regard I think in in this, this like the snacking space that there are a few kind of different products in the snacking space that are kind of interesting kind of introducing these ingredients into people's everyday kind of routines I know you guys have a have a have a snack bar which I haven't tried but I will <laughs> there's another really nice brand in the US called Uplift who sell these yeah. kind of yeah the, the kind of the cookies yeah yeah and I like those because they kind of feel like an indulgent treat that so people don't feel like they're missing out by kind of adding these products into their diet so I think that's kind of a really nice way of introduce these things but you're right like the I don't I, I think the conversation is so all over the place that people don't really know who to listen to yeah and I also saw recently that Baby Bell Cheese is adding prebiotics to their formulation, which is a very interesting option. <laughs> but looking forward into your crystal ball, what would you hope happens for gut health and the conversation around it in the next few years? We kind of have like a strap line at the gut stuff, which sounds a bit like counterintuitive, but you know, we want to make gut health as habitual as brushing your teeth. And, you know, so important that no one talks about it because it's so habitual. Um, and I think, you know, we have a long way to, way to go. We actually, we do workplace wellness as well, which is a really good insight into businesses and what people see wellness as. You know, some people just think we'll put a few apples in the canteen and that'll be it. But we don't realise the kind of behavioural shift that needs to happen. And we, for every kind of talk that we do within a, a big business, we'll do a free talk in a school or university because I think hopefully it has to come from the next generation. And if we can get them to start thinking about prevention and talking about this whole other ecosystem that's really exciting, then then we'll be well on the way. But, you know, there's so much exciting. We have a, another chapter of the book called The Future of Science with a scientist called Rudy Robertson. And, you know, there's like toilets that will be able to analyse your poo coming. Like, this is like mad cool stuff that is like, it's exciting. And But I think for us, like, we're just excited about everyone knowing about it because the passion that we had and found for it when we were going through the research, we just want to kind of try and, yeah, for everyone to find that really. 
Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. I, I think the more, obviously, the more we talk about it and the more we kind of make it more accessible to people and speak in ways that they understand and we don't overwhelm them with science, but at the same time have the science available for people, I think people will, people will start taking a much more prevent, like, preventative approach to their own health and kind of overhaul their diets and focus on digestive wellness. And I think further down the line, once kind of the conversation has become a lot more mainstream, I think interesting interesting products and services that offer kind of a personalised nutrition take and people understanding exactly how their own guts work and kind of and working their diet around that will become more of a kind of mainstream conversation. And I think at the moment, though, these kinds of products do exist, these kind of like personalised diet plans based on your microbiome. But I think over time, the, if these become cheaper, I think they'll kind of like, that they'll become a lot more accessible to everyday consumers. And I'm kind of excited to see what happens in that space as well. Excellent. So we finish each episode by asking our guests three very quick fire questions. So the first one is if you had a million pounds to invest, where would you invest it right now? Question. Um, probably school and university meals and education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got to say. Yeah, the next generation, health within the next generation. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And what's a consumer problem or challenge you don't think has been successfully solved yet? And detoxes and cleanses. Yeah, about the education that they're just absolutely nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> I think for no matter how much we shout about it, people still do it every January. <laughs> <laughs> We've all hopefully got a liver. That's the only thing that can detox. Yeah. yeah. And which individuals or brands do you look for for inspiration in your work? Um, brands like Peloton and brands that have built amazing communities. Um, we love Brewdog's marketing campaigns. Yeah, Brewdog, very Scott, bold Scottish boys. <laughs> but yeah, I guess people like kind of disruptor brands that have created communities in order to um, cut through. Yeah, that's basically the how I, that like loads of lift, listen to loads of founders like that keeps Excellent. us on our toes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm not sure I'm going to be going off and making my own sauerkraut or kimchi after this, but I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And I would like to thank my guests, Lisa and Alana from The Gut Stuff and Laura from Stylist for joining and thank everyone for listening. I hope you will join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylist. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylist, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.